Hello everybody and welcome to another episode of Football Unfocused and we will dedicate this uh, episode of Football Unfocused to uh, our most loyal uh, listener, uh, Isaac Mutenga, who uh, is yeah. uh, so far has a 100% record of listening to every episode. I mean, he is one day old, uh, but you know, we're, we're, the only way we're going to make this podcast work in the long term is to reach out to the next generation, and it begins with Isaac. So I'm sure he'll, within a few weeks, he'll be championing us to all his pals, and uh, <laughs> for that, we can be grateful. Um, uh, but until that that uh, rush of new listeners starts to uh, uh, inevitably come our way, it is just me and Matthew. As always, I'm Mark. Matthew's there, kind of making. You might have heard him make some noises. That's that. That there, there just grunting. That was a yeah, noise. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that was. Yeah, I do. I remember. Um, I'm still with HSBC, which is still the bank that I signed up with when I was a student. So yeah. you're not far off, I reckon. Trying to reach out to the younger listeners i think absolutely and i think you know one the one day old demographic is is the is really core the 24 hour it's yeah exactly because once you've gone over that 24 hour mark um you know you start to get a bit more jaded uh, you're more discerning in your taste you might start to listen to the things that we say and have a bit more of a critical eye but i think yeah. once you're within the you know the beautiful innocence of that first 24 hours you'll give anything a chance you know you're with an open mind and yeah, isaac yeah. probably has some quite strong views for example on what you had to say last week about whether defenders are getting worse or not um <laughs> and I like to think that. Did very... you get a bit of a backlash then? No, no. I'm, I just, oh, as, right. as is always the case, I listened to our last episode about ten minutes before we recorded this, and uh, and you know, I'd imagine that you know Isaac's going to be absolutely fuming when he hears uh, <laughs> some of your ill thoughts opinions. Uh, <laughs> uh, yeah, because uh, you know he's a, he's a smart guy, and you're not going to be able to pull the wall over his eyes um, in, in the way you attempted to treat our listeners with utter contempt. Uh, but moving away from that uh, and and the great Isaac, um, we will. Uh, I'm just going to begin this episode by asking you some uh, some uh, questions um, that uh, try and uh, again help our listeners. Uh, understand uh, the man behind the myth that is uh, that is uh, Matthew, the, the co-host of this great podcast. Matthew, what's the oldest item of clothing that you own? <laughs> oh, that is tricky. That's, yeah, I thought that so. Is tricky when I thought of this question, I thought, oh, he's going to have some rotten old shit. <laughs> I know. I've seen him wear it's some pro- things that I'm pretty sure he's had um, since the early 2000s. Yeah, I did... Um... I mean, there is some pants I've got that do have holes in, so they must be at least six months. <laughs> pants yeah. can get holy very quickly, though. Very quick. They? Yeah, no. If, yeah, I have very actually, large um, uh, thighs, which puts oh, an, a tremendous strain on the gusset. <laughs> gusset of pretty much everything I own gets just perishes within yeah. um, within months. Especially with your lunges routine. Well, is that, yeah, it's relentless. <laughs> I just don't stop lunging. Yeah, it's. Um, no, yeah, you're right. Maybe um, maybe a pair of jeans, actually, I've had. Yeah, for... because just to intervene very quickly, if the answer to that question genuinely were pants and you had <laughs> some pants that were, say... Because I'm assuming these jeans that you're about to move on to... I mean, how old are they? How long have you had them? Yeah, maybe... Uh, 12? 12 years? 12 years. Surely you don't have any pants that are 12 no. years. No, 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 they wouldn't like... They wouldn't. Particularly, we've already established you like to change your pants two or three times a day. So those pants are getting a lot of washing, um, and 
Yeah. No pants could withstand that for 12 years. <laughs> <laughs> kind of even no. hard-wearing <laughs> army pants couldn't, couldn't do that. Yeah, reinforced, uh, yeah, um, uh, bulletproof. Mm, bulletproof <laughs> pants, yeah. Do you think that's what the uh, Russian and Ukrainian the armies, armies currently the Rus- Yeah. Yeah, bulletproof yeah, yeah. pants. Good. <laughs> right, so it's a pair of jeans. And 12 years, I'm surprised it's not longer than that. I thought you would have some clothes still on the go from when we were at school. No, I think the we, reason... We've, yeah, we did I mean, our would... A-levels in 2000, so we'd be talking <laughs> 20, 22 years almost yeah. to the day. I do... I mean, I have some clothes near that age at my mum's house. Mm, but you, you don't wear them. Well, no, yeah, I, I mean... Uh, yeah, yeah, but, I don't wear them. But could you, I mean, you could wear them. You're a fine physical specimen, Matthew. You've never... No, you, I don't... You, know, you control yeah, your I'm weight not... very effectively. You're, you know. <laughs> I don't think... Yeah, even... I mean, I was, yeah, no, I'm not quite. I could quite. You were maybe a little bit chunkier when you were younger. You're probably even, yeah, even better yeah. now. You're getting better with age. Well, they didn't call me line. Fat Matt for nothing. No. I mean, who, <laughs> Or you who... didn't call me Fat Matt for nothing. <laughs> I don't think I ever called you Fat Matt. <laughs> you did. Did I? You did. Uh, but we don't want to go, we don't want to go that far. <laughs> well, it's interesting because that leads, that leads quite um, uh, aptly into my sec- <laughs> second question, funnily enough. Matthew. When was the last time you got genuinely angry? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, angry on the inside. I mean, it's quite... Yeah, quite, um, yeah that, uh, it doesn't have to be anger that you've expressed, but genuine anger. You, it could be that you've, in a very unhealthy move, you've, you've think, bottled it up, but it could also be uh, anger that you've you know, taken yeah, out on an innocent a bystander. Few, a few things, I guess. <laughs> a bystander, no. The, uh, you know, sometimes the... Um, Sorry, just to clarify, I said, when was the last time you got genuinely angry? The last time. Oh, okay. I I was getting quite frustrated. Um, So, as you alluded to last week, Joe and I are embarking on a challenge, and there's a little bit of prep that's had to go into that. Are you keeping this challenge mysterious, by the way, or are you prepared to tell our listeners? No... No, I'll tell you the end, the the outcome. Yeah, at the end. All I will say, listeners, is there is a chance that we might have uh, a two week break before the next episode because of this challenge. We might get something in, uh, um, but we might not. Depends on logistical issues, <laughs> life <it>. logistics. <laughs> yeah, and um, so I didn't feel Joe was quite pulling her weight, and. Um, I got a little bit frustrated. So you got angry with Joe, and then she got sick. Did, which was... did you raise your voice to Joe? Um, no, but I did swear. Oh, Matthew, <laughs> a slippery slope. It's it's because she got. Before you mixed... know it, you're Johnny Depp. <laughs> oh no! Oh god! Yeah, is um, she she got a bit ill then as well, and mm, so it's stress. Well, yeah, and then I kind of implied that you know this was just. Another thing that, another reason why she wasn't quite doing as much as I would say. What, because she was genuinely unwell and you yeah. were putting unnecessary pressure yeah. on her? Right, good. So we've established now, as a result of that question, that you are a monster. Uh, you know, probably a gaslighter and a, and a yeah. uh, coercive controller. And my final question, and it's interesting because it's another strand to your character that possibly we didn't know was there before. Yeah. Matthew, what makes your blood boil? And I'm talking generally. I'm, it doesn't have to be a specific occasion, or, but what generally makes your blood boil? What, what is it that, if that happens, it's going to set you off? Yeah. Have you? I was listening to, uh, do you know Sarah Silverman? The, I'm aware of her. 
uh, the, and she's got something called uh, um, misophonia. Misophonia. Oh yeah. Have you ever heard of that? Uh, no, I don't think I have. So it's when you have you get genuinely angry when people make noises like, you know, um, slapping their slapping their gums and eating noisily and, and that yep. kind of thing. Yeah. Um, so you're one of them. No, uh, I wouldn't say so. I think just to focus make... again on the question. Uh, yeah. What makes your blood what boil? Makes, what makes uh, eating loudly? I think. <laughs> I think um, people who hurt uh, animals. Yeah. That, I mean, you can't argue with that, can you? That's, <laughs> that's totally yeah. fair enough. Yeah. Yeah, I think that find that really, really upsetting. Mm. Yeah. I, I just don't give a shit. Yeah. There's nothing amusing to say to that. <laughs> no, really sorry. Easy. I couldn't sorry. agree. No, but I couldn't agree more. I couldn't agree more. Yeah. No, <laughs> those people are scum. Yeah. yeah. I get slightly annoyed when I hear, you know, ministers of state suggesting, for example, that you could uh, 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 mitigate the uh, cost of living crisis by eating cheaper food. Uh, maybe that, that sort of thing makes me a little bit angry. Um, but yeah, we don't want to go into that. Uh, um, yeah, well, fair enough, fair enough, Matthew. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean, actually, about the the little things. Like, I get in, I get really disproportionately angry when I hear people use certain phrases. When anyone goes, uh, when anyone like orders, what? when anyone orders in a restaurant, says, "Can I get?" rather than "Can I have?" or "Could I have?" or "I would like." Can I get? It's hey, it's so American. It's so disgustingly American. Can I get? Can I get? And it also suggests you're going to go and get it. If I was a the reason I, I I would fail as a waiter is the second someone says to me, "Yeah, can I get the carbonara?" So yeah, help yourself off you go. Go to the kitchen. You can get what you like. Oh, it saves me a job. Go and fucking get it. Oh, it drives me insane. I get so angry about that. Like little things like that, that the insidious Americanisms that have uh, made their way in. I judge someone the second I hear them say, "Can I get?" Uh, and the other thing is when someone says at nine a.m. in the morning. I know it's in the morning because you've said AM. Oh, that's yeah. that's really creeping in. I've noticed actually. I I didn't. I used to kind of quite seldomly notice that, but but that but that now is a real problem. <laughs> it's, Do you it's find you're getting more um, frustrated by those things as you get? No, I think Matt, you've known me a long time. I've always been a miserable bastard who gets like really wound up about about stuff like that I'm very much one of these people who I think there's a right and wrong way of doing almost everything and I'm yeah, completely that, belligerent in that point of you, view you, know? <laughs> you are right in that yeah, sense yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, uh, I it's going to be really interesting stubbornly you... self-righteous in that respect but but can yeah. I get fuck off you know <laughs> I think it, do you know what I think it might be I think it might be a kind of it, it's the Starbucksization of our, of our society it's like that's the kind of vibe that they do oh yeah can I I'm just casual you know can I get can I get can I get yeah can I get a coffee to go can I get it to go you know, could I have can I have goodness sake oh I'd like an Americano please thank you no need to get it I'll get it for you just as, just for the listeners to to so they could picture what you're doing when you were saying they can I get you like had your fists above your head like waving waving it around yeah like I was a character in Friends <laughs> yeah, yeah yeah Friends yeah. is probably another thing that you know because it, it probably started because it it is I think it's particularly prevalent with kind of our generation and they were a generation of people who were watching a lot of uh, 
you know, quite what what when you look back now, really, are quite sort of nauseating nineties uh, 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 kind of comedies that that were aimed. Yeah. At, they were supposed to make us all feel fluffy and warm inside, but they leave me they leave my you know my piss cold to be honest. Um, so yeah, but anyway. That's that. We've learnt more about you, and I've given you a little insight into myself as well. Just don't ever say, "Can I get in front of uh, in front of me?" or I will I will strike. Um, right, Matt. Lots to talk about football wise. Anything you want to bring to the table, or um, should I just Whoa. start talking? I was, no, yeah, you could go for it. I mean, I was thinking. I wonder if today's podcast will happen depending on the result from um, what you mean. Uh, if, Champions League. Right? What you mean if, if it had gone badly? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why would I not do a podcast if it had gone badly? I just thought, oh, that would be pretty... It was just so gutting. It would have yeah, been, but... I don't know. I don't know. I I've mean, tried I, to always I, come and get across always... as myself as someone who's got a bit of a sense of perspective. And I'm not like... Yeah, yeah, I'm yeah, not yeah, so, yeah. You know, yeah, obviously I get upset when if Liverpool lose like finals. and In fact, semi-finals are actually harder to take than finals in a lot of ways. Um, but, yeah. uh, but I don't... I'm not ever so bad that I can't communicate. And also I try and have no, a sense no. of perspective... Like the recognition that I always bang on about the football cyclical and that no domination lasts forever and enjoy it while you can and then accept it with good grace when you're going through a bit of a tough spell. I would just, I mean, that, that second bit is proving particularly challenging for fans of certain clubs. Um, but uh, <laughs> what, what I was going to say, would if Liverpool had lost against mm. Villarreal, would you have wanted Man City to win? I was thinking this because I know you're such a big fan of not having two clubs, two clubs in the same the same country in the final. Yeah, I'm, <laughs> I was unlike I was some 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 Liverpool fans, I know, I, you know, some Liverpool fans, I think over recent years because of this uh, incredible um, kind of rivalry of like um, probably almost unprecedented levels of brilliance between these two fabulous football um, teams, uh, some Liverpool fans have kind of taken Man City now to be a proper kind of rival where they kind of begrudge them anything I'm not one of those people I don't think I ever will be um, just as I've explained before if Man City are winning or we're winning there's a certain other club that are pissed off either way and that makes me smile and go to bed with a warm heart um, but also because you know I really really respect what they've done what they achieve the way they play football I like their manager I, I, there's, I don't think they've got a player that I dislike I don't I, yeah, okay. I have certain objections with the way that they're funded, and I think there are that, that's worthy. You could do a good, you could do a whole series of podcasts on the, you know, the ethical whether that's ethical or not. Same with Newcastle. In fact, Newcastle's even worse. Um, but that's not the fault of the people who run the club, and there's no doubt they run their club incredibly um, well. And all the people, the kind of football people, um, just just do a magnificent job, and they dominate everything. That's, that's the reason why, like in the area, they get all the best young players, and you know, infrastructurally, they're they're just they're just miles ahead of kind of you know their their rivals in the same city. And that you know, they, they from where they came from, it's not just money because as as the old Trafford regime over the last ten years have shown, you can have all the money in the world. You can you can build the most expensively assembled squad of all time in football history, and you can still be absolutely useless if you're if you're if you've essentially got cretins making decisions who don't understand anything about football or have the wrong motives. They're driven by commercial uh, re- realities and and objectives rather than football. City have just, just they get everything right. I think this when you look at you know. What what have they won in in Guardiola's time? What three is it? Three league titles, eighteen, nineteen, and twenty one. Yes, yeah, so, and obviously quite likely to win it this year. So that'd be four league titles in five years. A team with that level of dominance, 
and and the way that they've done it and the points totals that they've been accumulating, they they do they deserve to win a Champions League. And you know, obviously, I would rather Liverpool won it this year, um, and I very much hope that um, you know we do. But I, no, I would not begrudge Man City, and yeah, I'd be quite happy to, for City to win it if we don't win it. However, I, what I don't want to do is play them in the final. Um, yeah, yeah, not yeah. because I fear them, but as I've said before, I just hate I hate the All English finals. Yeah, I had a great time in Madrid, but I would have preferred us not to be playing uh, Spurs. The last year's final, Chelsea against Man City in the, what was it, half full or third full stadium. Again, it just felt a bit like a Premier League match. And I, I just also think it's bad for football because that, that would be three out of the last four Champions League finals would be all English um, if that uh, were to happen this year. And when you consider that there had only ever been up to that point one all English final in the in the history of the Champions League European Cup, and that was uh, in um, Moscow in 2008 when Chelsea played Man United. Uh, and that was that was, you know, considered at the time a, a, a unique thing and for it to be happening with such regularity I suppose you could argue it's, it's brilliant it shows how amazing the Premier League is and they're dominating over everyone else but ah, oh, come on you are it's a European Champions League and you want to play especially a team like Real Madrid and for, from a Liverpool point of view the idea of playing Real Madrid in Paris if you know your football history you know that in 1981 Liverpool won the European Cup in Paris and beat um Real Madrid in that final 1-0 with an Alan Kennedy goal. Um, so there's a certain kind of uh, symmetry and a bit of romance to that as well. But also playing Real Madrid. Real Madrid are, I think, in any reasonable person's opinion, the biggest football club on earth. They've got the, they've won more trophies than anyone else. They are by far and away the most uh, successful team in the, um, in the European Cup Champions League uh, history with 13. It's amazing that, you know, clubs don't get any bigger than that. So what, regardless of kind of what state they're in, in terms of their current, um, and by the way, they are, you know, Spanish champions, so they're doing pretty well. Um, you kind of want to play them, and Liverpool, Real Madrid has got to, you know, that that would be the the currently the first and third most successful teams in the history of the European Cup Champions League playing each other in the final. So I, I hope that happens. Um, it's interesting with Real Madrid, actually. Again, this is something that you could spend an episode or two talking about. There's always this narrative, like when they won three Champions Leagues in recent years under um, Zinedine Zidane's management. He doesn't really get an awful lot of credit for that because people have this kind of thing with Real Madrid where they're like, oh, yeah, they, they've just got so many great players and the manager just needs to contain the egos, keep them all pulling in the same direction and they're not really driven by tactics and they just sort of send them out there. It was ba- it was like that right way back in the days when they had the, the BBC front line of, um, of Bale, Benzema and, uh, and Ronaldo. Um, and I just think that is ludicrous. They don't say that about any other club that's got great players. They just It seems to be a thing reserved specifically for Real Madrid. So as a result, Ancelotti's getting kind of no credit this <laughs> this year, even though he's won the league and got to a Champions League minimum semi-final. Um, so, yeah, it's quite interesting. And it's, it's, it, it's interesting to consider why that is. But yet other managers like Pep, like, uh, like Jurgen Klopp, even like Unai Emery. In fact, Unai Emery getting Villarreal to a semi-final of the uh, Champions League, having already won the Europa League. I mean, that's I, you could make a strong argument that that is the biggest achievement that any manager has, has done in, in, in modern football history, really. A, a, a town of a 50,000 uh, population with no kind of long-term history of success uh, in European football to 
have that in successive seasons is unbelievable. And Unai Emery was someone who was kind of discarded with by Arsenal and I think probably not given the respect that a manager of his calibre uh, deserves. But hey, there you go. So, so yeah, it is interesting. I realise this is a long and rambling answer to your question about when, <laughs> whether whether if Liverpool had been knocked out, I'd want Man City to, to get to the final. But yeah, so the, so the answer actually is, is, is yes. But, but now that we are in the final, uh, I very much hope <laughs> that that we end up playing Real Madrid. But if it's City, it's uh, City. It's, it's so many FA Cup. Like, I got my ticket for the FA Cup final the other day. I'm delighted to to have got got that uh, in the bag. Um, I, just, I wish we weren't playing Chelsea because we've already played them in the final this year in the League Cup. You know, we've had a lot of big games against them over the years. And it's, it's nothing particularly against Chelsea, although I'm not I'm not exactly a huge fan of theirs. But, um, but I just wish we were playing someone a bit a bit different um, just for a change uh, and also I suppose being a London based Liverpool fan and thinking about sort of travelling to and from the game you're just like oh god um, but uh, but yeah yeah <laughs> did you watch the, uh, the, the the Champions League uh, I last don't night? have BT Sport so ah. I was listening to it I was listening to it on the radio 5 Live or whatever it was played on yeah. and um, I was, it was interesting when the player got sent a co- oh, I can't remember his name got Kapoor. sent off that was right at the end yeah. yeah, and they were clapping him off. That was quite interesting. Yeah, you get that a lot. It's, yeah, because on, on BT Sports, Steve, Steve McManaman was co-commentator and he was like, oh, I don't know why they're clapping him off. Like, as if he'd kind oh, of really? let the team down. But but um, he hadn't really, because they Villarreal, bear in mind, Liverpool were so dominant in that first leg and could have been sort of five or six goals up had it not been for Villarreal's sort of resilience. And I think everyone was was going into the second leg thinking, all right, they'll give us a bit more of a test, but um, you know we should still kind of breeze through it. The first half is genuinely the most uh, I, the most outplayed I've seen us in the whole season. They were absolutely all over us. They battered us. We barely strung three or four passes together. It was it, the intensity that they were playing with was unbelievable. We just couldn't deal with it. Uh, some of our best and most talented players looked completely flustered, like they didn't know what to do with themselves. Um, so, uh, yeah, I mean, firstly, to, to kind of then compose yourself, go out in the second half and play like a completely different team and that, not just win, get through in the tie, but actually go on and win the match, come back from 2-0 down to win 3-2, which is incredible. But I think in that circumstance, if you're the kind of underdog and then, uh, you know, one of your uh, high-performing players who's been part of this journey gets sent off for a second booking in the last five minutes of the game, you probably are going to clap them off. Like, you know, I, I, I've, mm. I've been in I've been in Anfield. We don't get many players sent off, um, but I've been in Anfield um, before, where you know Liverpool players have been shown a red and they've been clapped off just out of you know kind of solidarity mm. and stuff. Um, yeah, no, it's interesting. On Five it, Live, Chris Chris Sutton was saying that they deserve, you know, uh, showing the respect. It was, I think it was sounded a bit more sympathetic than uh, McManaman. Yeah, of, they were recognised, acknowledging how amazing they've done to get Yes, exactly. And I think McManaman was looking at it from the point of view of, you know, that's not helping your team get back into it. But by then, Liverpool were 3-2 up uh, on the night, 5-2 up on aggregate with like five minutes to go. So the game was (laughs) over. uh, And he he just had, and he had a kind of tired, frustrated lunge to pick up a second booking. So yeah. Yeah, I think, yeah. I think, I mean, obviously the most famous sending off Possibly of all time was Zinedine Zidane again in the uh, 2006 uh, World Cup final, and that you know he's kind of carrying his team quite. A, you know, bear in mind that was a France team uh, 
that were um, being managed controversially by the um, uh, very unusual Raymond Dominic. And he, you know, they, so they kind of against all odds. This is a man who used to pick players based on like uh, star signs and sort of astrology predictions and stuff. He's a very um, strange, strange man. And because uh, in the next World Cup, he had such a falling out with his own players that it led to a, a kind of walkout, which I think was led by Patrice Evra. Um, but, you know, having got to the final of that, that tournament, against the odds and and be so reliant on Zidane in doing so for him to then lose his call as a result of a kind of slur against his sister allegedly from Marco Matarazzi and nuts nut him in the chest get sent off you know in a lot of scenarios that would be like you've let your country down in the most important game imaginable and you've essentially all right they lost on penalties but he would have taken a penalty you've essentially cost us potentially the world cup but he was still greeted like a hero when he went home because He's Zidane, and there's an appreciation of what he had done to win the World Cup in 98, and also what he had done to get them to the final in 2006. And I think there's also an acknowledgement that a lot of people would say, well, yeah, if he'd, if he'd, you know, disrespected my family in that, in that way, I'd have, I'd have nutted him. So I think that there were a lot of people who kind of related to it. Um, So yeah, it is, uh, but then you could, I, I suppose you contrast that very different scenario with David Beckham. Having a petulant kick out of Simeone in 1998, and then England, then you know, valiantly battling on against Argentina for the rest of the 90 minutes and extra time, and then losing on penalties, and everything turned on Beckham. He was the the you know blame for everything, and he was public enemy in number one, and for about uh, two years until he sort of successfully rehabilitated his public image and won everyone over, and you know became the. Uh, the national darling that he remains to this day, based mostly on um, on sort of you know a, a very effective PR team and a celebrity wife. Um, but uh, you know, let's let's not go there. Um, uh, well, what what did you want to talk about? Well, really, uh, just just actually, there just is Liverpool for you. No, VM there is one. There is one non non Champions League thing. Uh, I'll right. tell you one thing. Actually, on a purely personal level, just to just to um, tie off the Champions League stuff, uh, that is that I took the risk calculated gamble of booking my Eurostar and um, hotel in Paris a few weeks. In fact, I booked the hotel in Paris for a group of us um, as soon as it was removed uh, from from Putin's uh, St. Petersburg. Just because it's fully cancellable, so there was no risk there. But Eurostar was a risk. We actually booked it after the second leg against Benfica, so before we played either leg against Villarreal. And it was non-refundable as well. So it was a big risk. And they're not cheap. But looking at it today, there are already news stories how you can't now get a Eurostar. The, I think there is a Eurostar uh, available um, uh the the only one that's available on the Saturday now, the day of the final, gets to Paris like an hour before kickoff. So that's already. So bear in mind that if Man City get through to the final tonight, a lot of those fans won't have booked their travel yet. So I mean, it's an absolute nightmare. So um, and I'd imagine flights are in a similar thing. So they, I am I am kind of even though I'm not guaranteed a match ticket yet. One thing going to Madrid taught me in uh, 2019 is that really it's just all about being in the city. If you can get a match ticket, fantastic, as I did in 2019. But if I don't, I can live with it because the most important thing is just to be there in the atmosphere of those couple of days. It's an, I think I'd imagine even if you lose, it's just an amazing um, amazing time. But no, the the thing that I'll, we have spoken, I think back in earlier episodes. Um, like probably going way back about my my slight concern that, that there's a trend developing in the last two or three years between the teams that are coming down from the Premier League and up from the Championship and the way you're getting 
that you're getting less and less diversity of those teams. And it's just worth noting that last night, uh, Bournemouth had a, a really important kind of crunch match against Nottingham Forest. Tuesday. Now, as yeah, yeah, sorry, Tuesday was last night. Uh, now, as a kind of you know. Uh, a bit of a football purist and someone who likes to see the historically uh, big clubs um, hopefully make it back into the Premier League in order to have interesting, meaningful fixtures with context. I would love very few things more than to see Nottingham Forest back in the top flight for the first time since uh, 1999, I think it was, uh, which is a ludicrous amount of time for a club of that size. Twice European champions, Nottingham Forest, for 23 years not being in the top flight. And they've had this amazing run where they, I think they were in like the relegation zone in uh, kind of October time. They sat Chris Hewton. Uh, they got um, uh, Cooper in as manager and they've just been on this amazing journey to the extent that Bournemouth, who've kind of been in the top two all season, um, uh, were started to flounder a little bit. Forrest caught them and were within three points of them with two games left. So last night was a kind of right. If Bournemouth win, they go up. If Forrest win, they'll go ahead of Bournemouth on goal difference and then take it to the last day of the season and, and Unfortunately for me, I mean, fair play to Bournemouth, but Bournemouth won, so Forrest will be in the playoffs. But it does mean that the two clubs already confirmed as promoted are Fulham, who got relegated last year, 2021, Bournemouth, who got relegated from the Premier League the year before, 2020. And then it's it's quite likely that uh, Sheffield United, who got relegated last year, 2021, or Huddersfield, who got relegated 2019, will be one of the... Um, you know, the stronger candidates to get through in the playoffs. The other two, Luton and Forest. Luton, who haven't been in the top flight since 1992 when they got relegated just before the Premier League started, and Forest, who, like I say, 99. So you've got, you got two kind of extremes there, of clubs that have been out of it for a long time and, and two that have recent years. So if Sheffield United, for example, come back up, then you'll have Fulham, Bournemouth and Sheffield United, who combined uh, have been out of the uh, Premier League for... Uh, four years between three clubs you know a year each and a two-yearer and then going down Watford and Nor- Norwich are already relegated they they only just got promoted last season Watford are almost certain to be relegated they only just got promoted last season Brentford fair play to them are staying up so then again once again only one kind of established Premier League club is going to go down but if it ends up being Leeds as it's now looking unfortunately like it again going back to my thing of wanting to see big clubs in the Premier League historic big clubs it's looking like because of Burnley's improvement and Everton you know as I've said all along they've got a genius manager it was they were always going to improve um, and they had a big win against Chelsea last week so you kind of think okay they've got some momentum now they've won I think two out of the last three uh, assuming that that continues Leeds are very very vulnerable at getting sucked back in there and they, this is only their second year in the Premier League. So again, you'd have the three going down, two of whom have only just been promoted and the other one who's only done one more season in the Premier League. And I just don't think this is good for football. That I don't... I suppose it's difficult to prove that it's entirely down to finances, but it is showing that you're creating this this double-edged sword where on one hand, the gap between the Premier League and the rest is so big that the clubs who get promoted, it's, it's becoming increasingly impossible for them to, to successfully compete with the noble exception of Brentford. But then, you know, in the last couple of years, Leeds and Sheffield United came up and made massive impacts and then on one hand went down and on the other struggling badly with the threat of going down the following season. So 
Brentford, I'd say, look out next season, especially if they can't keep Ericsson. Um, but on the flip side of that, you're then sending down teams that have such a financial advantage because of their accumulated Premier League money over the other championship sides that then they're inevitably going to be one of the upper teams in the championship and likely to come back up. So you're ending up with four, five, six teams who are just perpetually going up and down, up and down. It then essentially rules out 20 or so other teams in the championship around half of which are genuinely historic big clubs who would have pride of place in the Premier League and really bring something um, to um, people who care about that sort of thing, which everyone really should. Uh, and it's just bad. And it's, you know, it's, just, it's in a way, it's creating a domestic version, an unofficial domestic version of the European Super League. European Super it League. is, isn't it? Because that's yeah. exactly... What was the aim of the European shot. Super League? To... Mitigate the business threat of relegation by creating a closed shop. Exactly, and and uh, and they're kind of doing it by stealth. They're 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 just fine. You know, the the system is kind of doing it for them. So you know, Delia Smith can look at Norwich. Norwich, who seem to go get relegated, win the championship by about twenty points every time, and they say this will be the time. Norwich are so good now. This will be the time when they come up and they'll know how to stay up this time. They're so much stronger, and then they go down. But then they come back up. It's you know, you just think, my God, <laughs> it's dull. Um, so yeah, I'm I'm a little bit as a, as a, someone who just likes to see football in a healthy state. I suppose I'm not entirely comfortable uh, with that. But uh, but well done, Bournemouth. Um, yeah, <laughs> c- congratulations. Um, and on the flip side of that, Derby County, who tw- won the league twice in the 1970s and are have a massive fan base, a big stadium, and are a historically great English football club, are in the third tier because, because for the first time, I think since the mid 80s, because of financial mismanagement and neglect. So, you know, clubs like Bournemouth and Fulham, who, with the greatest respect to them, are at best medium sized clubs in the whole scheme of things, um, are kind of thriving and. You know, I mean, all right, they 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 run well, they're funded well, so you know they've got every right to do so. But it's just a shame then that you know Sheffield Wednesday and Derby and Ipswich uh, are in uh, League and Sunderland are in League One um, at the same time. But but there you go, there you go. That's just my. I think that's probably. I'd imagine very few people are as bothered as I am about that. But I think they should be about even if they don't care about these kind of you know big, properly big clubs being in the Premier League, they should care about the lack of diversity of the teams that are coming up and down from the Premier League because it's creating a, it is creating a, a closed shop. Yeah, but that's it, man. I've got nothing nothing more to add. Uh, I think that's quite a concise uh, edition of, of Football Unfocused. Um, anything else to add? No, no, I think that's all good. It saves me a bit of editing. Excellent. So, uh, you, right, good. And, and you don't want to add anything else about your uh, anger issues or your old clothes. <laughs> <laughs> we'll keep that for yeah, another maybe time. I'll... <laughs> yeah, maybe yeah, yeah. Um, We will uh, possibly be back at some point over the next couple of weeks, depending on match challenge, which you will hear more about in, in time. <laughs> but at the moment, he's keeping his cards close to his chest. Um, and fair play to him. That is his right. Um, but 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 I'm sure you'll join me in saying best of luck to him. And but most of all, really, best of luck to Joe, who is going to be spending uh, a lot of time uncomfortably close to this guy for the next couple of weeks. And I'm sure she has all of our sympathy and is in all of our prayers. Uh, and 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 on that on that bombshell, that uncomfortable, uncertain bombshell, it's time to say uh, uh, goodbye for this week. 
enjoy your football and uh, see you next time on Football Unfocused. Thank <laughs> you.